0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hi, it's Rabbi Yom Tov. Tune in to my live webinars. Send a message to support at rabbayomtov.com. Come into a computer near you. Welcome back to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Aisha Torah overlooking the Temple Mount right behind me. And uh, today's subject is Finding Our Soulmates. Now, all of us want to find our soulmates, and the first commandment in the Torah is actually to be fruitful and multiply. Um, you know why that was the first commandment in the Torah, to be fruitful and multiply? Because God figured when you'd read that one, you'd keep reading. <laughs> now, it's a very funny commandment, by the way, because because be fruitful and multiply is, is, goes directly against the Torah. Meaning, the whole point we have a Torah is to connect to God, right? How are you going to connect to God without a Torah? If you're Gentile, so you know, you're all set, you know, just, just go like, wow, God, you know, you're all good, you know, like, it's easy, but if you're Jewish, connecting to God isn't that simple, because we, you know, we got to, we got, we got to see all of God, and when you see all of God, well, it comes with responsibility, you know, just like an executive in a company, you know, she gets to see all of the inner workings of a company, well, you'll notice she has to dress differently. She has to act differently. She's not going to be able to swear. You know, she could take the whole place into a lawsuit just by the things she could say. You know, like, suddenly she's held to a very heightened level of responsibility. Someone who's dealing with nuclear power and stuff is, you know, and has that kind of clearance is going to be living with tremendous amount of detail of responsibility. You get that. That That's just part of life. Like, you, you get into the inner realm of something, you it's automatically going to be... And you're, you will be burdened with responsibility but but we know it, responsibility is not a burden, that's what makes life meaningful, you know, think about it when you finally do something responsible how do you feel? Accomplished. Amazing, accomplished, like, like you're actually that bag of bones was able to do something, you know other than stare at its phone or something, I just got too much in my pockets <laughs> men in their pockets <laughs> <laughs> now um, yo, here, here's where we're at, is that the Torah itself goes against the Torah itself. Because the whole point of the Torah was is to teach us to connect to God. But the very first commandment is the biggest disconnect. I mean, think about it. Uh, most people, the majority of the people in the world, are completely disconnected by their desire for someone of the opposite gender. That totally disconnects them from basically anything. I mean, I mean most men between 18 and 25 like, are like, you know, like, it, it's hard to even realize they think about anything else, you know. The it, it's an absolute mind clamp, you know. This one, so that itself takes you away from God. But then go go and get married. That'll take you away from God, you know. Like getting married is a, it's not it's not by chance that people become monks and just stay away from marriage. You know, that's 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 like the path to God. But Judaism has some other ideas. That you're actually supposed to get married, and now all of a sudden, next thing you know, you got little pipsqueaks coming into the world. You got to feed those kids, and next thing you know, you got to work. Well, now I got to work, and you're you're thinking about work all day, because how else are you going to make money if you're not thinking about it? Which means you're thinking about work, you're not thinking about God. So the first commandment of the Torah goes directly against the Torah. And of course, we have this gigantic, you know, the Torah goes on and on with detail after detail after detail after detail of, of law, like civil law. Why do you need all that civil law? Like, Why does a, why does a connection with God, which is Judaism, need so much civil law? The answer is the first commandment. Because once you're involved with feeding children, well, you're going to be at business. Well, once you're doing business, well, there's going to be a lot of discrepancies, a lot of arguments, a lot of litigation, which means we're going to need some kind of stable foundation of how to judge cases. And so it's back to the first commandment. The first commandment's a disaster. You know, people should just stay single. But obviously, God has something else in mind. And what it is that God has in mind is called to have a dwelling below. Dira batach tonim. He wants to dwell in the lower worlds, down below. Which, of course, sounds very funny in Hebrew, that he wants a dwelling in your underwear. Now, the the word for underwear in Hebrew is tonim So he wants a, he wants to dwell in your underwear. But but that's quite true because the the circumcision, the brit milah the brit, Mila is, the, the brit Mila, That's where it is. It's in your underwear, and that's and God's saying like I'm making the covenant in your underwear ultimately, you know. So it's like New York, New York. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. If you got if you got your sexuality under control, well then maybe you can get the rest of your life together. Maybe. But people who don't have sexuality under control are are disaster. They're a disaster. And that's and how what's our greatest proof of that? That when you get your sexuality under control, you're no longer a disaster? Is because we get to witness it over and over again is once in a while we get a student who I don't know what happens. He must have done like the ice bucket challenge or something, but he decides he's gonna join yeshiva. And he's no longer gonna even think, look, talk to, or you know, at all interact with girls for a while because he's going to yeshiva. And so here he is in yeshiva, and next thing you know. This guy's got, like, a nuclear power plant inside him. And, and personally, you know, we met him here in Essentials. And not that us rabbis would ever talk about anybody because it's forbidden in the Torah. But if it were not forbidden, we would say that guy was a moral wimp. He was a weakling. He was someone that, like, had no hope, ultimately, to ever get his life together because he had been so badly taken down by his, desire, his sexual desire that he was in a police headlock getting a noogie at all times. And, and so, but all of a sudden, this powerhouse comes out. Like, not originally, not meaning not immediately, but about three, four months into being a yeshiva bachar. All of a sudden, I mean, you could like hook up jumper cables to his earlobes and power all of Jerusalem. The guy's like, he's, he's a powerhouse. And who knew? Who knew there was a powerhouse there? Because so much of his power had been, had been wiped away by that part of the, which is supposed to be the covenant with God had been wiped away by the covenant with god and you'll notice all spiritual traditions have great amounts of laws and fences and borders around sexuality so that we're powerful that's how you're powerful and this is of course the western society ace of you know the ace of society which is western the western world which is the scourge of all mankind is westernism is the biggest disaster that has ever hit the planet i mean I mean, maybe only closely followed by radical Islam, but, the, uh, but it's not even closely followed. I mean, Westernism has been an absolute disaster. I know we like to lament. We don't like to, but we lament lamentations. We lament the Holocaust we went through at the hands of the Romans, the Aesop. We lament that. We also lament the 2,000-year exile that we've suffered under them. We also lament the American dream, which for Judaism is a nightmare with close to 60-70% intermarriage in certain areas. It's a nightmare, meaning in Europe they killed us, now they marry us. But either way, we get taken down by Esav every time. But it's not just us who lament Esav. There was one of the richest cultures in the world was going on in various countries of South America. And they were destroyed by, by Europe. Europeans came in to aboriginal cultures that are lost forever. I mean, National Geographic can't do nothing at this point. There's nothing to find. Then they just crawled their way up Central America and destroyed them and killed millions. Half of the millions were killed just with the European venereal diseases, back to the covenant, of back to circumcision, back to that part of the body. But they were killed off just through rape and diseases that europeans brought sexually transmitted diseases and then they just moved their way up to north america and uh, and and again the same story and they wiped out people who were, had a connection to the divine that that is only rivaled by us because we have prophecy which of course no one, <laughs> there are no one can touch prophecy i mean even the highest level tribe and their connection to the divine is because they divine not because they got prophecy Prophecy is not divining. Prophecy is from God down. It's up down. Divining's down up. Obviously, you understand. If you grew enough in some tribal culture and in a, ate enough uh, peyote or whatever—I don't know what—you'd have to eat cactus—but you would uh, you would eventually be able to divine. But that would be down up. That would be all the work you did. Isn't prophecy a No prop. Well, you have to be clear and clean. But once you're clear and clean, if God decides, he, like, power surges you. But there were only two prophets in the history of millions of prophets in the Jewish world. Because the, the prophecy really was a Jewish thing. It was from Sinai. But after Sinai, there were, you know, there obviously pre-prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There were post-prophets of Sinai who were in, in Israel. But, the, but to be a prophet required... Um, oh, that there were only two prophets that could stand and maintain composure during prophecy. Meaning, if you suddenly got prophecy, you know we'd need—you'd uh, have to have a change of clothes in that backpack because you're going to be like slithering all over the floor here, going full convulsions. Every prophet prophesized in convulsions. It was not your prophecy it was when it when it says Koamar hashem thusly says the lord it was not you know you're you were not like making things up at that point you were just canceled out completely meaning surrendered totally while god spoke through your mouth and it wasn't we all think of prophets are like the kind of guy you want to ask what the stock trade's doing tomorrow that's not, No, your, your info you got, if it had to do with the future at all, sometimes it had nothing to do with the future. Sometimes it was just the prophecies of, of what to say to the people in this town that you just kind of walked into. Because they would suddenly get prophecy when they would see come into a town because that town needed a message. And it had nothing to do with the future. And if you did get a prophecy of the future, it was only because God needed you to know something so that he, you could let the world know that trouble was coming or something. I uh, We're assuming there's no prophets in the in, like any other tribal nation? Yeah, so the other nations didn't have prophecy. Um, we do say that Billam had prophecy, meaning that there had to be like the, the Gentiles if they ever said, our sages say that if the Gentiles said, Hey well, very easy, you guys are so holy. You had prophets. What about us? Like, we didn't have prophets, so what do you expect from us, God? So so this so God gave them Billam. But it's not not exactly fair to say that Bilaam's a prophet because it's pretty clear he's a sorcerer. And sorcerer is down up. That's divining. So sorcerers are are a down up thing. So it's kind of interesting that we call Bilaam because it never calls him a prophet in the Torah. Bilaam is never called a prophet. It doesn't call him. We say that he was the prophet of the nations, of the Gentiles. But the Torah is pretty clear that he's a sorcerer. He himself calls himself a sorcerer. You understand? So sorcerers are not prophets. So prophecy was really in the, in the Jewish realm. Now, there were prophets before there was Judaism. Before Sinai, there were prophets. You know, Mishushalach, he, he was walking with God, man. Hanoch, Hanoch, It says that he walked with God so much that God killed him. You know why God would kill someone who's walking with him? He's killing him. He, it says he killed him because he was on such a high level that it couldn't go higher. So anything he could do from here would only be downhill. So he said, take him while he's good. Like, pick it while it's right. Because if you think about death in Judaism, really, if death in Judaism is really harvesting. When God, when someone dies, God's harvested that soul. Because right now, your soul is locked into your body. It's being, it's being basically hijacked by your brain most of the day. And it's not good news. And so... What happens is the soul is harvested. Like, for example, the Holocaust. How many Jews were, how many, how many uh, souls were killed in the Holocaust? How many souls? six million. How many were killed? Souls? None. 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 No souls were killed. It was a, it was a. That was a major harvest. Now, the Torah says we have to remain few in number. We lost a third of our people in that. And if the prophecy says we're going to remain few in number, well, well, that certainly did the job. Now, we never want such a thing. And obviously, the, the, it's of the most evil things that has happened in the last 2,000 years of Asaf, One of the worst. I mean, it's amazing that Asaph's the one who caused that other holocaust. We've had three major holocausts. We had the, under Nebuchadnezzar, the destruction of the first temple, and going out to Babylon. We had the Roman exile, which would our temple and ripped us out in chains and, you know, destroyed our people. That was the Roman exile. And then, and then at the end of this exile, right before the state of Israel is declared, Asaph gets us again. He gets us again, and we get the Holocaust and lose a third of our people. You guys have got to realize what a disaster Asaph is. And you have to, every one of us listening to this right now, you have to start a surgical procedure right now. You need a surgical procedure right now. It's called an Asaphatomy, which means get Ace of atomy. Yeah. Because Asaf's because so in us. He's so in us. If you were raised in America, as I was, you've been dipped in it. You're dipped in Asaphatomy. Yeah, there aren't enough mikvahs in the world to purify you from having been born and raised in the United States of Asav, or or northern North America in general, Canada, European countries. If you've been dipped in Asav, and there's not a, there's not a mikvah pure enough for you to to get your get your heart, come on, in, to get your heart and mind out of, out of that out of the gunk. And the craziest thing is we love it. We love it. Like we, we love our mud. We love the mud of ASAP. We just love it. I mean who doesn't like pulling out a smartphone and just going straight to Amazon and I'll take that and I'll take that and I'll take that. And it's all gonna be delivered by tomorrow and it's just like two thumbs up, man. You know, I'm 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 gonna have some some really cool uh item now, you know whereas semitic people are like we're not from that tribe we're semitics we're we're shemites from sham we're we only want meaning that's it now by the way some of that stuff can bring some meaning which is you know like like i do ride exotic mountain bikes and i got 11 speakers in my car stereo and you know like i definitely play taylor guitars and stuff like that you know i like to, i like to have good equipment but but that's part of my serving God. Now, but I'm I'm dipped in ace of two, because like for example, I've got a big bucket list of surf spots I want to hit. And I also I keep my body in tip top shape. But I believe I believe that a lot of that's because I was raised in a world where like like if anyone even smoked a cigarette at our parties growing up, he was the biggest loser ever. You know, nobody smoked. No one in my Grade school, no one in my junior high school, no one in my high school, and no one in my college smoked cigarettes. I mean, there were people who, like, okay, came—they came to Santa Barbara smokers from Louisiana or whatever—but they realized very quickly they're the only one smoking, and quickly got like immediately stopped smoking. So where I was raised, but that's that's ASAF. Judaism's also into being in perfect shape, but am I re- am I really pure of ASAF? That I've gotta always be, you know, like in perfect shape and working out and like, is that really coming from Judaism or is am I also like dipped in ACEF? Do I also need an ASAP out of me? And when my wife says, Can you get such and such for me? You know, it'll only take you like twenty minutes and I'm like No. <laughs> well, who's that talking? That's Asa, you know, because I had other plans. But I mean, how how many times has my wife sacrificed her other plans for me? I mean, it's like, I probably daily, probably daily, she she's doing jumping through circus hoops, just to make sure you know there was food on the table when I got home. When she had a list of things she wanted to do, but at some point she had to come home instead and sweat it out in my kitchen, to our kitchen, for her to uh, make sure there was food on the table for me and meanwhile she asked me for 20 minutes the answer is no so now obviously I give her 20 minutes all the time but that time it was no because whatever I had to do but is that not Asif in me I had something to that I thought I had to do anyway We got to get mad. We got to get angry. You got to get so mad at the ASIV in you. And realize those you were raised observant, you know, you might be from Brooklyn or, you know, like Muncie or Lakewood or all those good places, you know. Upper West Side. Upper West Side, uh, that's that's just regular ASIV. But um, (laughs) (laughs) those people, those people were from those like really Yiddish shtetlach, you know. (laughs) The people are from the fiddler on the roof towns, you know. But in the world of Asav, people who are raised there are not exempt. You are, you are, were raised in the in ASAP. You know, you're raised in Asav, and you'll see that almost every American that comes here, who's from those neighborhoods, comes here temporarily. It's always temporarily. They're, they're not. I'm not so comfortable here, and and we, it may be a struggle to make it here, and 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 and. Uh, you know, and it's like, like, shut up, you know, like, like, put sh- put some skin into life, man. Like, like, you believe in the Torah enough to live this very limiting lifestyle. I mean, it's think how limiting it is to keep Torah. You're, you're you believe enough. Sorry, we didn't hear anything. You <laughs> you believe enough in Judaism to live this extremely limited lifestyle, yet. Yet are willing to ignore like a ton of Torah commandments around that come with living in the land of, in, the, in the Holy Land and it's like it's not enough that we had the miracles of of the, the things that have happened in this land and then of course they say well you know the government these secular Zionists you know surgically reinstalling their foreskins you know like these people are like these people are like no goodniks. You know, so I don't want to, I'm not moving to Israel under the evil empire of Western Judaism. Because think about it, the state of Israel is a Western, it's Westernism. It's Aesop. You know, our state of Israel is Aesop with tremendous Jewish pride. Okay, a lot of Jewish pride. And we're also very proud of them because they've done a great job. I mean, they built this place overnight and believe me I enjoy the highways and I enjoy the hospitals and I enjoy the the military and I enjoy all the goodies of living in this country without getting uh, you know ransacked by our neighbors so I'm extremely appreciative but nevertheless even though they're extremely proud as Jews and defend this country with like you know pretty you know pretty zero tolerance I mean they shot that poor Syrian in the F16 and knocked down their plane just cuz he was like Swinging around. You know, he was just swinging around in the middle of a battle. He like swing around a little too far and pff, Gets blown out of the sky, you know, and Netanyahu's just like so sorry, you know, but we told you You know like our airspace is like we're not messing with that. So like even though it wasn't aggressive We're gonna be aggressive. So we appreciate that stuff. They're very proud But they're variousive. very asive very this is this country is being led by Asaf, and so um, Jewish versions of Asaf, and uh, meanwhile, so the observant Jews say, "Well, I'm not comfortable living there under their rule," but don't forget, it's a parliament, and parliament is led by the majority, so meaning meaning you get more seats if you have more constituents. So if all those Jews would just move here, all of a sudden. The whole balance, instead of us harating having to have multiple births for 30 years to finally turn the tide so that our government will actually be pro-Torah, we could actually, within a couple of years, we could already turn the tide of how this country's run just by having the seats in the parliament. Because if you have observant Jews with seats in the parliament, so then the law goes in the favor of Torah and Judaism. And you don't have any anti-Torah. So it's very, it's cute to sit back in Brooklyn and say, well, those, that evil government, but half the reason the government's evil is because you're not coming. And then, of course, everyone listening to me right now is saying, okay, we'll let someone else come. Because I want to drive my Lincoln Navigator up to, up to Costco and fill it with fill it with cheap goods and I want a Mexican housekeeper yeah I also want a Mexican housekeeper (laughs) that's been definitely one of the sacrifices but uh no offense to my Chinese help by the way because I do have amazing Chinese help but they but uh getting these Indians from Oaxaca, Mexico, who are like happier than your parents, you yeah. know, where I grew up. Like, how is it that the Oaxacan, thousands of miles away from her hometown, who's left her family, she's living in America in our home, and once in a while riding these like packed buses full of Mexicans across LA because no white person, no white American, rode a bus in West LA? And how are they happier than the parents? in the mansion that they're working in you know like they, they these people are so special and such earnest honest hardworking, amazing people you know and I considered it a great honor that I got to have that time with them that I did and, and I would say a big part of me teaching you right now is because I got to be with some real people as opposed to a plastic world that I was raised in it was a lot of me standing up in front of you right now is thanks to thanks to the fact that I got to have, that I got to be raised in Spanish with real Indian Mexicans who were, who had some remnant left after Ace of, you know, destroyed the Indian community of of Mexican mountains. Now, um, finding your soulmate. There's a couple of things you need to know about finding your soulmate. So, um, <laughs> which means it's probably an emergency, but I'm not going to deal with an emergency in the middle of your class. Um, times do they have to call to have that to get through like that on Do Not Disturb? Do Not Disturb is just this Soulmate. I know, but he got through. I think you have to call multiple times to break through it. I just want to know that everything's okay over there. It's one of those serious situations. Uh, Can you see me over there? Is it straight or should be straighter? Straight enough? Okay. So the word we're going to put on the board is happy. (laughs) H-A-P-P-E-Y. And, uh... If you're wondering why there's an e in the word happy, it's because there's six steps to this, and they perfectly hit the word happy. So I just had to add a letter in in it. So I'm glad you think that's funny. Um, anyway, but the, this this is basically how to find a soulmate. within Within a year, you'll be married. Within months, you'll be engaged. Okay. So, and you don't have to do this now. You can save this info for later. So the, uh, oops. I already wrote that. Um, so this is the word Hashem. That you focus on your relationship with God. and Let God worry about worry about your relationship with your soulmate. Now this does not mean that you stop showering or using deodorant. Okay? <laughs> meaning, meaning keep showering, stay clean. You know, look basically respectable, but definitely don't go too far out of your way because because God's in charge of this stuff. We're talking about soulmates. Soulmates means God's in charge. So. You just focus on your relationship with God. You know, spend a lot of time at the co Yeah, And that, that's number one. Number two is is—is uh, alive, is develop. Um, this is two points here. That no, Most likely, everyone in this room is going to marry someone who's already alive. Yeah, you're going to marry someone who's already alive. You know? uh, how old are you in the back corner there? Thirty, 30 when are you planning on marrying a guy who's thirty? Who's gonna be born like next year or something? I don't think she understood my question. The, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> meaning you're no, I was saying that he's probably alive already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's not gonna be born this year. Yeah, so basically. No. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. he's alive. Yeah, so good. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. so the two things, the two things you want to do is one is develop a relationship, which means uh, pray for him. Have you ever prayed for him? I don't mean even pray to meet him. I'm saying like maybe he's feeling depressed today or maybe he just lost his job. or maybe he's trying to get a job. or maybe he's like deciding whether to be observant or not, and he's having this big test of whether to be observant Jew. Would you marry a non-observant guy? No. So, what if this guy's like right on the brink of disaster, so, spiritually? Would you pray for him if you knew who he was? I would. Yeah. So, well, he's alive. Yeah. So, push him again. he's alive. So, start praying. Also, gentlemen, gentlemen, you can write notes. Shabbos notes. A lot of us men leave a note by the candles for our wives Friday that we write something nice, something maybe on the parsha about our relationship, and and uh, and we put it by the candles. Well, start now. You don't, you don't have anyone to give it to, but just keep it for later. When you get married, you'll hand her all the notes. These are the notes I wrote you every week. Okay. And number two is, is to have uh, what's called dignity. That generally we think of ourselves, once we're married, we're going to be more dignified. I mean, we're not going to wear that anymore. We're not, going to, we're not going to smoke that anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to go there anymore. So the answer is, first of all, bull. You know, you are. And, uh, and you're, and you're going to smoke even more, actually. And, the, and the, so, But even if you... We, we all have in mind that we're going to be more dignified when we're married. So live with that dignity now. You think my Hasidic daughter, who got engaged when she was 17, and then she was married with a child at 18. Do you think her lifestyle changed between growing up in my home... Do you think her lifestyle changed between before marriage and after? Probably. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, a lot of things did change, but not her approach to life. Her approach to life was the same before and after. You get that? So develop some dignity. Live with that kind of dignity and watch your soulmate come, come into your life. Wear the clothing that you're going to wear once you're married. Wear that now. And don't interact with people of the opposite gender in ways you would not when you're married. You get that? Like my daughter's interaction with men or boys her age or anyone has not, sh- has did not change before and after. Just like a married woman has no business fraternizing with people of the opposite gender. A single woman also has no business doing that. And if you don't do that, get ready to get married quickly. Always get you married quickly, okay? Number three is, uh, is private. And that has learned to be a very private individual. This is this is uh, uh, exact opposite of Facebook and like you know sharing all your stuff in the world. Like like don't do that anymore. Have a private life because you know in marriage things are pretty private. You know think about think about anyone here ever had a good connection with Rabbi over the years or Rebenson over the years. Raise your hand if you ever had a good connection with Rabbi Rebenson. Yeah, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. If they never mention anything about their intimate life. It's the same people. Because they would never do that. They'll talk to you about absolutely everything. But you're never going to hear about intimacy. Because they have a strong, strong bond of privacy there. So we need to be more private people. We don't have to be spouting out about things. Just a quick hint though also. If you think you found the one you should marry. Do not let anyone know. Keep it really out. Keep it in the download. The DL. Don't let anyone know. Don't start showing up at Shabbos tables together. Don't show up to parties together. Why not? Like you should, if you have a lot of peers around, so you should date out of town. Like literally, take a bus and meet out of Jerusalem, so that you don't see them, or go to some place where you'll never see them. And the reason you don't want eyes on your on it, you don't want eyes on anything that's not yet fulfilled. For example, farmers even around the world know: don't count your grains. You know, like. You can count your money after you sell it, but don't count the grains. And they better not even count the money after you sell it. Don't count things. Things that are not um, put in quantitative, uh, in quantitative and especially when it comes to soulmates. Basically, the holier it is, which soulmates is very holy stuff, the less eyes you want on it until you're engaged. Once you're engaged, you announce it to the world. And just also be careful of secret engagements. Once you're engaged, you announce if your grandparents still don't know, we'll call them. Oh, but I want to do it in person. So what? Uh, call them and tell them you're engaged. Do not do not um, wait and do a secret engagement. Secret engagements have been known to get blown out of the water. So you, when you get engaged, you announce it big time. You can wait to get engaged, but once you get engaged, you go public. Yeah? I'm a parent of four kids. I certainly want my kids letting me know and bring their as potential spouses to my table before. I didn't mean your Shabbos table. I meant like the college Shabbos table or the Upper West Side Shabbos tables or stuff like that. Yeah. And, and, and also you should know if you do show up, it puts a big X on your forehead for any future dating of anyone around there. Because the, that's already like, oh. And you're almost like divorced if it didn't work out in people's eyes. Because first of all, you were already written off as theirs. Then you had all the jealous eyes on you, which we all know jealous eye is a destructive eye. And you know why didn't you know, why didn't I get that one or whatever? You don't want jealous eyes on it, so you keep it on the D L. Um, parents you talk to as long as they're normal. Um, bringing them to your own family, as you said, is wonderful and and Sometimes absolutely necessary. Uh, the next is uh, platonic, and that is not to have platonic relationships with people of the opposite gender, which includes pets. Um, you'll meet some people will stay single much longer because they have a pet so so any platonic relationships including pets so so stay away from that like oh I've been single so long maybe I should get a dog you know I mean fish are fine if you want fish but no cats no dogs and if you have already cats or dogs just give them away or send them to I don't know where to send them do something with them Something friendly. Don't do anything mean to them, you know. But, but get your pets out of your life. By the way, if it's your parents' pet, ultimately, I mean it's your pet, but it's kind of your parents' pet because it's at the house. That's fine. That's no problem. But if you're like living alone and you got a dog or a cat, just get rid of your dog or your cat. You need to need God's job is fulfilling needs. He gives ants Coca-Cola and it spills. He gives ant eaters ants. Like His job is fulfilling needs. You know, God gives. Lions and eaters. Okay, he takes care of the world based on need. But what happens with our platonic relationships is there's no need, and that messes people up big time. So don't have platonic relationships with people the opposite gender, and uh, that's that's the main thing you want to do. It's very lonely. And it's very difficult. It's particularly hard on women more than men. Men don't have platonic relationships, and and then uh, and then the and then the um, and then ultimately you have. Uh, You'll have that need and it gets fulfilled because that's God's job. God fulfills needs. Okay, the next is expectations. And here you, get, you make a long list of everything you want in a spouse and then you take it into a, like, a hundred, like a list of like a hundred things that you want in a, your soulmate and then you take it to a well-ventilated area and you burn it, okay? <laughs> Meaning you got to get off Santa's lap, sister, and get rid of your Santa Claus wish list of a spouse, just get rid of it we're talking about your soulmate here and if you look at your wish list your wish list is a couple things mostly it's comfort like if you ask every age guy what is he looking for number one in a spouse he always says the following words and you girls are gonna to want to puke when you hear this His number one thing is you're probably think I'm gonna say looks I'm not gonna say looks these are yeshiva bachers. they're holier than that you know they're, <laughs> they're, not, they're their number one thing is that she should be low maintenance so he can learn Torah you know so she should be low maintenance. Like, that is sickening. You know, like have you ever have anyone, any of you, ever been in a meaningful relationship that was low maintenance? Anyone? you Anyone know, been in a meaningful relationship that was low maintenance? Are you low maintenance? You're not even the men are in low maintenance. So, so you understand what it Oh, so that's what I was saying is the majority of the list is comfort. It's a wish for comfort. It's a wish that I should never be tested in my life. I should never be tested in my life. Really, I want to be single with a spouse. And and uh, and so that's part of the list. And the other part of the list is I should look good. When I show up to an event, I should look good. Or people should know I married into this powerful family or whatever that means. You know, like, like it should look good. That's what their list is about. It's about comfort and looking good in the eyes of others. Well, that has nothing to do with marriage, obviously. <laughs> marriage ain't comfortable. And, and if your marriage is about looking good, so then you're... It's doomed to rot, because because marriage is all about the inner world. I mean, that is your inner game. I know a lot of people with big outer games, and very little inner games, and their marriages never last. I mean, that's what the tabloids are when you're uh, when you're at a checkout stand in a market and you've got the tabloids of who recently got married, who recently got divorced, who recently got married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. Married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. It's the M and D magazines, yeah. So. Those are people with giant outer games. Why? Who cares if this person got married or divorced? And the answer is because they're rock stars, or they're athletes, or they're models, or they're whatever they are. They've got giant outer games and no inner game. Now, often it's sad, really, that because their inner game was usually burned out by some traumatic, horrific upbringing. You know, they usually went through hell. Some of them heal, like Oprah Winfrey. I mean, she was she she had her, her first abortion before she was even like. 13, I think, and that was from a rape. Her second one was the same story, too. So there are people who heal themselves and are, are great lights in the world, but and def- but what does that mean? They develop their inner game. Those are people who develop their inner game, which brings us to the last one, which is you. Develop your inner game. Now, in the end, you're, you're ultimately getting this person. You're going to be married to this person, and you, yeah, go ahead. You're, you're ultimately gonna be. You don't want me in the shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like got your head. Okay. You're ultimately gonna be married to this person. So, like that. What does that mean? They're getting you. Well, what is it to get you? How? And what kind of toxic waste dump are you? <laughs> <laughs> what are they getting themselves into when they marry you? So, but if you get yourself properly filtered, I mean, when you're throwing a swimming party, you're supposed to actually check the pool before everyone arrives. You know, like you don't want anything funky floating around in there. So, think about it. Getting married is, a, I mean, it's more than a swimming party. I mean, they're not just jumping in your water. I mean, they're going to be in there for for years, and your kids are going to be having an intravenous drip line from your pool. So, filter the darn thing. You know, put some chlorine in there. Like, go through with a strainer. Like. Get yourself worked out before you start bringing other people in your life. And and here's the sickest thing. Here's the craziest thing is how many people do I meet who are so unfiltered, meaning they have have so much going on inside them. And when I talk to them, their number one thing is attracting someone of the opposite gender. But why would you do that to somebody? It's like the famous Woody Allen line. Like anyone who, 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 I, I wouldn't want to marry anyone who would want to marry me. think about it you don't want a girl who would want you you gotta get that in your thick head bro you don't want a girl who would want you because anyone who wants you and by the way I never met this guy in my life anyone who wants you anyone who wants you is not a compliment about themselves that is not complimentary to them if they want you that means they're screwed up and you want someone screwed up if someone wants you they're messed up people well, it depends how cleared out you are. Because if you're someone who has really done your work and then someone wants you, so then they want you and like the real you. And, but if you're someone who's just like never really put yourself on the, on the operating table of life and like, and like really let yourself get figured out, which requires others, by the way. Like, you'll never do it on your own. Like, we're, we're just not living in that generation. That's long gone. Like, you need an expert at getting you figured out. and But if you can get yourself figured out, you can get married. But why would you ever want anyone who would want you in your current form? Anyone who would be interested in you is automatically disqualified. You get that? They're automatically disqualified. And if you're not, like, let's just talk about sneers for a second, which, you know, is probably a bad idea. But let's just talk about, let's just talk about, like, like, who would want if the way I dress? Let's say I'm a guy wearing all that tight, you know, shemale clothing, you know, with tight pants and the muscles, you know, or I'm a woman like showing way too much, you know, whatever that is. Why would I ever want a person who's interested in me now? Meaning, if I, until I get over needing to show off my body, which means I got to do a lot of work to do that, until I can start until I get over needing my body to be part of the equation, well, then why would I be interested whatsoever in the person who's interested in me? If someone was interested in me, I should slap them. If a girl was interested in me because of my body, I should slap her. And if a guy was interested in you because of something you're showing, slap him. Don't be flattered. He's a low life. And, and you have to think, are you attracting low-lives into your life? What are you about? And that's, one second, that's number six, is you. Like, you want to get married, get yourself worked out. And then maybe, maybe someone can join you. Maybe someone who wants you is flattering about, they're flattering themselves. As opposed to lowering themselves down to some... You know, lure you seem to have thrown out into the ocean to catch something. Right? No, that's not that's not the person you want. If you have to lure them, so then, you, so then you 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 don't want that person because you want to marry someone who's also worked out quite a bit. Ideally, you know what the goal is, by the way, for single people. The goal is for single people is to make your singlehood obsolete. Absolute. Meaning you've grown so much as a single person that there's nothing left. The next growth I will get will only be through the gauntlet of marriage. I have to go through the crucible of marriage to get to the next level. Because I've, I've made my singlehood obsolete. There's nothing left for me to grow because I've grown so intensely. And I've put myself in the line of fire with so many great trainers and so many great people. And I've read all the best books on this. And, I've, and I go and I ask people humbly how I can work on myself to the point where there's nothing left except marriage. Because marriage will put you through the gauntlet, man. Marriage will purify you. Whatever's left will get purified through marriage. And then parenting? Oh my gosh. You could totally make it as single. You could totally make it as a parent. Sorry, as a married. But to make it in parenting? huh, <laughs> That'll test the rest of you. That it, it, Marriage uh, children drag you down to your knees. and they They, they, they just completely pulverize you. And that's why it's so important to get married and have children. It's so important because that's where your growth is. That's where your key growth is. But how many people are stuck never getting through the growth of their singlehood? So they never really get to the marriage part. So they never really get to the kid part. We're not here to grow as single people. There's certain growth you gotta do as single people. But it's all to get you to the marriage. And then you get to the marriage and now you're really growing. And then the kids, and now you're like, you know, you're going through an egg slicer. Now, and just one more thing on expectations is you are allowed to have deal breakers. Like, for example, this woman in the back said she wouldn't marry a man who doesn't keep Shabbat, right? Yeah, she's not marrying a guy who doesn't keep Shabbat. Forget that. She doesn't want some guy messing up his kids. You know, she wants a guy who's, at least the family's all together... Involved with kiddish and mozi and songs and guaranteed for 24 hours straight, like no one's leaving. Like she, she doesn't want a guy messing her, up her kids. So, so like that's a deal breaker, right? Anyone here? It's a deal breaker to marry a guy who's a high school dropout. And every one of you women would marry a guy who never even got a high high school degree. Depends, would you marry a guy without a high school degree? No. What? Um, no. No? it's a deal. Breaker. You're allowed to do it. Anyone Persian? Any Persians in the room?
1: Well, he's already got like
0: big old hoop earrings and stuff. You'd probably marry a non-Persian. Yeah, he would. But most Persians not only wouldn't, but shouldn't. But shouldn't. You know, he's already like, you know, he's pushing all the limits anyway. You know, like, but, but, uh, but a Persian, I would suggest should marry a Persian. That's just the way it goes and Syrians should, mind. Syrians should be marrying Syrians, you know. i not saying they have to, but it probably, it should probably be a deal breaker for most of them. Why? You Syrian? Because their family You Should you be marrying a, a Syrian? With that the rest of the night. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to, but you should. You should. Yeah, you should. A lot of cultural <laughs> things. <laughs> you can't imagine their culture. The Mexican Syrians, it is the funniest and best culture. It's amazing. And they're so welcoming to me as long as I don't marry any of them. So the, um, okay. So we're pretty good. Um, everyone, I bless you to, you, you can ask, you want to ask questions? Because I don't know what happened to Rabbi Nechmer. It's after four, isn't it? it like what time is it? Four Four o seven. seven. You know what? Let me be a good scout and just say shalom. Um, anyone has a question, right outside. So you can start, okay? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.